0: psalm for the third Advent Sunday this year is Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev, Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. If you can, uh, take your bulletins and look at the psalm reading, Psalm 126. Let's look at that together. And, and, I, and I do want you guys to look at it, because seriously, it's not that important what I have to say, but what is important is what God's Word says, and so let's look at that and unpack that together. This is a terrific little Advent psalm, and like, like all good poetry, it has the, 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 the message, the content of what it says, it's good, but the way that it frames it is, uh, is just as good, if not better, and, and I'll show you what, what I mean as we, as we go into here. Advent is that space that we live in uh, between uh, the brokenness of the world that we're in, hoping for renewal, and the renewal that's out there in the future. Especially in the Old Testament, they're waiting for God to return and to fix everything. We, of course, have the benefit of living on this side of Jesus, where we know what he's done. We've experienced the power of his resurrection. But even though the kingdom is already here, it's not yet completely here. Even though we're already holy. We're not yet completely holy, even though we already have hope. We don't yet completely have hope. So Advent works for us, too. This is necessary for us to have this season before Christmas. And I'm really glad of it, too. I, I, I didn't think this way. I didn't even really have any reason to think this way 15, 20 years ago. But instead of starting, you know, digging into the story of the life of Jesus, instead of starting right at his birth, to, to start four weeks prior to that and kind of sit in, the emptiness of him not being here in the Old Testament sense, or waiting for his second coming in our sense. I think that there's deep value in that. Anyway, Psalm 126 really captures this well. It's a song of a sense, and I just want to point something, a little structural thing out to you right at the beginning here that's going to be very important as we go forward. The first line of the psalm there uh, that you have there in the bulletin is, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion. But if you look down at verse 4, which would be the fourth kind of the fourth block there in your bulletin. It says, restore our fortunes. So when the Lord restored the fortunes, and then verse four, restore our fortunes. So there's a statement, and then there's a request for it. That'll be important as we go along here. But let's look at verses one through three first, which describe to us a fantastic hope. Advent is Psalm 126 is about two things. First of all, it's about a fantastic hope. And then it's about a a far-seeing faith. A fantastic hope and a far-seeing faith. So first of all, the fantastic hope. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Have you ever had something happen to you that's so good it doesn't feel real? So good that you think, like, I, have to, I, I must be dreaming. This can't possibly be happening to me. This is way better than I expected. That's how they feel about this. Verse 2, then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. I love that imagery of uh, our mouths being filled with laughter. Have you ever, again, have you ever had an experience that's so good you have to laugh? Like it's it's not just yelling because you're excited. It's not just smiles. But actually, you can't stop laughing because the experience is so good. I don't know if I've had many of those. I know that this is shallow of me, but when I think about this, I think about um, game six of the 2011 World Series. And mainly because when the Cardinals came back and won, it was completely unexpected. Several times over the course of the end of that game, like they were going to lose, and you knew they were going to lose. The statistical odds, like if you're into the baseball stats, the win expectancy was way low for them, it was like under 5%, like statistically. And then they come back and they win. And I remember like saying to Angela, this is just nuts, like laughing because it was just crazy. And I mean, this really, I know watching a sporting event is kind of a shallow thing, uh, but it's really kind of, this is the experience that this text is evoking. When God restored our fortunes, it was so cool. We just were laughing. our, Our breath was taken away. Like It was like a dream. Now, we should talk about what does that mean? when the Lord restores the fortunes of Zion. So I kind of want you to remember the the sermon from last week. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and many other of the prophets, the Psalms too, are anticipating the Lord restoring the fortunes of Zion. And what that's all about for the prophets in the Old Testament is, we aren't they, Israel, we are in exile in Babylon. We're slaves in a foreign land. Our home has been taken away. Our temple's been torn down. Our fields have been gutted. Our cities have been burnt. Someday, though, God is going to come back. He's going to put us back in Jerusalem. He's going to rebuild the walls. He's going to restore our land. This is what we read about in Isaiah 61. Build up the habitations. Like uh, Isaiah is saying, God's going to come back and build up, build up all the ruined buildings. God is gonna come back and move into his temple and the new creation is gonna start and all the nations of the earth are gonna know that Yahweh is the one and only God and they're gonna come and worship him with us in in this this rebuilt Jerusalem. So what's happening here is the psalmist is saying, it's almost past tense. Well, it is past tense. When the Lord restored our fortunes, we went nuts. It was crazy, it was so good. So now here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about these three verses and how great they are. So when the Lord has started our fortunes, our mouths were filled with laughter, the Lord has done great things for us, we are glad. There's a hard pause in the psalm. And then look at verse four. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. It's clear that in the psalm it has not happened yet. So, So what's the first three verses about then? I'll tell you what It's about. This is why I said this is a fantastic hope. It's about a fantasy. They're playing out in their minds, what would this look like? And the psalmist is playing, so this is a song. It doesn't say it in the bulletin. It's a song of ascents. It's one of a group of about 10 to 15 psalms at the end, of Psalm 120 and going on. It's about going back up to the restored temple in Jerusalem. And the psalmist is having a fantasy about how cool that's going to be. And then the fantasy's broken, and then comes the prayer. God, make this happen. When the Lord restored our fortunes, it was so amazing. Back to the real world, God, restore our fortunes. What I'm going to advocate for the next 30 seconds is that fantasy is good in this sense. Right? I, have, I, I can't remember if I've said this to you guys before. It's a little bit embarrassing, and so it's the kind of thing that's weird and, and Um, I don't, it's kind of weird to say it out loud, but I'll say it out loud. When, um, when Angela's brother Jeremy passed away about 15 years ago, it was very sudden. Uh, There was about a year after that where I would have, and, and maybe you've experienced this too. I hope you have. I hope I'm not the only one. That'll be embarrassing. I would have these fantasies about what it would, what it would be like, you know, to be walking down the street and he would like walk up behind us and say, hey, it was all a mistake. I'm not really dead. I'm really here. Like, what if it wasn't true? What would it look like if it wasn't true? My brain would play these scenarios for about the year, year and a half after he passed away. I often even, I, I even have fantasies now, frequently have fantasies about what would my life look like if I hadn't rebelled against God and screwed up my marriage and family and scarred myself terribly and scarred Angela and my kids terribly. What would life look like if I hadn't been such a fool? Fantasies about that. And what I, I think what this psalm is doing is it's giving you permission to have those fantasies. Now, the rationalist, materialist part of you is like, that's nuts. Don't do that. You got to live in the real world. I, I, I get that. I understand that. Like if I'm having fantasies about what would it be like to be a billionaire and own like a 75-foot yacht? That's not legit. That's not ever going to happen. You know, it's not ever going to happen. That would be silly, and it wouldn't be rooted in reality. It'd be fake. It'd be just some sort of fake reality that I'm trying to escape from this reality. But this is not escapism, because what's more real? What's more real, the destroyed Jerusalem or the new Jerusalem? What's more real, Jeremy's death or Jeremy's resurrection? What's more real, my sin or Christ's righteousness? Righteousness. And what the psalmist is saying, it's Advent, take some time to fantasize about what the world will look like when Jesus fixes you and your relationships and everything else. Because that builds hope. It builds faith. It's not not unrealistic. It's rooted in a bigger reality than the one that you look out and you see in front of us right now. It's rooted in the reality of the God who makes all things new through his son, Jesus Christ. It's okay to go for it. What it does, too, is it produces. It's not escapism, but produces Faith. Look, I can fantasize about having a 75-foot yacht and being a billionaire, but it doesn't stir up faith. It just stirs up disgruntledness of the fact that I'm never going to, I'm just always going to be middle class. And I wish I was rich, but I'm not ever going to be. This, though, because it's real, stirs up faith. It points me towards what Advent does. It points you towards this resurrection, new creation, Jesus returning reality and says, make that your guide, make that your road sign, make that your target. Head in that direction. Head towards all things being made new. This fantasy can help us point us in that. This fantastic hope can point us in that direction and build a far-sighted faith, which is what we see in verses five and six. So he says, "Restore us, restore our fortunes, our Lord, because it has not happened yet." I think that by the time the Psalms have been edited and put together, they're probably still the exile is probably still going on. It's just a few psalms later in Psalm one thirty-seven. It's actually about being in Babylon in being like the Babylonian captors saying, hey, sing us some of your Jewish songs and how frustrating that is to have to sing songs about our homeland when we're far away in exile. I still think that they're there. But the psalmist, because he has this fantastic hope pointing him in this direction, he has a far-reaching faith as well, which is built up on this fantastic hope in the God who makes all things new. Verses five and six, this is gonna be, I'm gonna have to explain this, okay? It's 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 not readily available right off the surface for us. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Now, what's going on here? Uh, this is a good, it's good that we did the sermon series in the summer looking at the story of the Bible. This might make more sense to you haven't gone through that series. Okay, so what is the, 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 the bearing the seed, sowing, going out and bearing the seed while weeping will reap a harvest and come back home. What is that talking about? Well, you guys know this now because you know that one of the key promises made to Abraham in Genesis 12, 15, and 17 is that God would give him, the ESV says offspring, but it's actually the same exact word as seed here. God would give Abraham a seed or offspring forever and ever. A seed and an offspring. Children who would rule the whole world someday in righteousness. What's the psalmist saying? The psalmist is saying, We're in exile, and we went into exile carrying our seed with us, right? It's agriculture, but it's literally our kids came with us, and the fear was we're going off into Babylon, and we're going to die there, and our kids are going to die, and the whole project is going to be wiped out, and no more. God's kingdom will fail. The promises he made are over. We're going to die in Babylon, and the psalmist is saying this. You go into Babylon carrying your kids with you, and you're weeping. You will doubtless come back home carrying your sheaves, your full-grown kids with you. It's all about this belief that God will not. So there's two things. There's two things that the faith is, is built on. One is his word, his promise in Genesis 12, 15, and 17. I'm committed to you and your offspring. I'm committed to you and your seed. And the second thing is Jesus, of course. Because who is the seed? And again, the sermon series, if you went through this, this will help you out a ton. When, God, when the psalmist says when, you, when the seed goes off into exile and you're weeping, I promise it will come back home full grown and you'll be rejoicing. What's he really talking about? Our kids? Well, yes, but there's a move first. And Paul does that move in Galatians chapter three. We looked at this, this is about a month ago. We looked at this text. Let me read it again. The promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring, Paul says. This, is, this promise here. The promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say into offsprings, lots of kids, referring to many, but referring to one into your offspring, singular, who is Jesus. Jesus, Paul says, is the one true offspring. And then he goes on to say this, what does that have to do with us? So that if you are in Christ Jesus, if you're in the one true offspring, then you are all children of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. If you're in Jesus Christ, you've put on Christ, and that means that you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, Paul says, heirs according to the promise. You are Abraham's offspring because you've been baptized into Jesus Christ. And so this promise that the offspring is going to go off into exile and it's going to return, it applies mainly to Jesus. Jesus is the one who went into exile for us. Jesus is the one who died for us so that he could return back to new life for us. Jesus is the one that God made this commitment to that I will never forsake you. And when you and I die, when our kids die, we die in Jesus Christ with the full and sure guarantee that the exile is now over. He's come back home. He's been raised from the dead. And we will be be raised from the dead too. And that's why I'm allowed to fantasize about Jeremy being alive because that's more real than Jeremy being dead. It's an advent personal guarantee by God that nobody is going to die who's in Jesus Christ. Life is permanent. I can fantasize about what would it be like if I did not screw up all my relationships with sin. Because Christ's righteousness covering me, guaranteed by his return from exile, his return from death into life, guarantees that my righteousness is more real than my sinfulness. I'm allowed to live in it through faith. So this Advent, I, I, I encourage you guys last week to take some time to chill and just sit and be quiet and don't worry about Christmas parties for a little bit or shopping or getting the house ready, just to sit and be quiet and bask in the promises that God made to you through Jesus Christ. What I want to do is I want to encourage you this week to do a little bit of fantastic hope. Imagine what it would be like if all things were made new. Imagine what it would be like if it was a guarantee that you would never die, and if it was a guarantee that everybody that you've loved who's died in Christ will be raised back to life, and you will be celebrating Christmas with them for eternity in the new creation, to sit and bask in that, and let that hope, that faith in Jesus Christ be built up in your heart. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us and for being good to us. Thank you for making promises that we know only you can keep and that you are guaranteed to keep Help us, Father, to see that as our ultimate reality, to see your new creation promises as the one true thing in your son, Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name, amen.